You're listening to the Paper Cuts Podcast, issue 38. I'm your host, Dan Ryan. With me this morning is Dean DeFalco. Hey. And Evan Goldstein is not with us this morning because he's out doing something with Special Edition New York City, right? Special Edition, yeah. He's uh, he's going to cheer on all the artist buddies he's friends with. Which is awesome. Yay, networking. True story. By the way, Dean. Yes. Did you hear the announcement that Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez will be writing the new Iron Man book? No, I did not. That's exciting. Yeah. Got announced yesterday, Saturday morning at Special Edition NYC. Uh, Bendis and Marquez will be taking over Invincible Iron Man. It is confirmed that it will be Tony Stark in the suit. And apparently the suit of armor that he's wearing can take the form of any of the previous suits that Tony has ever had. That's interesting. Uh, that's kind of cool, right? Like, yeah. I I think that's kind of neat. Well, I mean, I saw the cover for the last Superior Iron Man, and it was Pepper beating the snot out of him. Yeah, I, I read that one this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Sweet deal. Why don't you kick us off with what you read this week, though, Dean? Okay, I want to start with the stuff that both of us didn't read, and I guess I want to start with the thing I probably had the most fun with, which was Action Comics 41. Soups is back, man. He's back. But he's he's not soups. He's he's just a guy. He's just Clark. Yeah, uh, this book or like Cal. Yeah, I suppose. Cal. I mean, this this book takes off like right smack dab where he's like in the middle of the wilderness, straight up just laying there, all beat the shit. And he gets up, and it's this inner monologue that he's having where, you know, he's like, oh, my God, my bones hurt, my fucking, it's cold out. I've never been cold before. What is this fucking feeling? <laughs> like, why do my knuckles hurt? Why does it feel like I've been punching a metal wall? Oh, yeah, I was punching things, and now <laughs> it actually hurts. He. Oh, yeah, I was punching Metallo in the face. Yeah, you know, he he's beginning to realize that, you know, being a human is, is not fun he's just assumed you know what it's felt like because he never could feel that way now he does because he's all depowered and he he just he doesn't know how to particularly deal with it all he has to know is that he has to keep moving on or else you know he doesn't have any time to you know just stop and give up so you know if, if you guys haven't been keeping up with this uh lois outed Clark as Superman. So everyone knows that Clark Kent is Superman. And that's kind of a real bitch move. That is kind of a real, like, dick thing. Was there a reason given in the story? Because I haven't been reading action comics, really. Not going to lie. I just picked this back up. Okay. Uh, I will go back uh, because this is sort of interesting. Like, what could, you know, make her want to out- uh, Superman. I don't. I don't know if you know. Maybe she thought it wasn't going to be that big of a deal. But Lois has always sort of been that person that has had her eye on the prize as far as like the news stories go. So I wouldn't doubt if she just thought this would pelt her to the top and she was going to stomp Clark to the bottom to get there. So because because they're not together. No, they're in not the, the new Fifty Two stuff, right? No, it's I, Superman I, and Wonder Woman. Correct. And Clark and Lois never had anything. Nope. Nope, nope. Okay. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what's going on with her. However, Superman's kind of pissed at her. He's not talking to her. And, uh, yeah, he's not very happy at all. However, um, if you keep reading, Jimmy calls Superman, and it's more like a signal sort of thing. Clark doesn't want to pick up the phone because he doesn't want the government to know where he is. So mm-hmm. apparently Jimmy has the signal where if he rings three times and then hangs up and does it again, that means that Metropolis needs him and Clark needs to get back. And uh, he's sitting in a diner while this is happening or some sort of like gas station shop. And he's half naked, by the way, right now. And he's staring Naturally. at his Superman shirt and he's like, is it is it time? And, you know, he he thinks about it for a second. He says, no, it's it's not time yet. So he goes ahead and he puts it down and he picks up another shirt. He actually buys a motorcycle off a bunch of like just delinquents hanging out. And these guys are like, did was that? No, it can't be. Did Superman just like buy our motorcycle? And they get kind of pissed because they think Superman's made of money because he just saves the world all the time. And uh, it gets to the point where they follow him. Uh, down the road once he stops to get something to eat 
and they corner him and they try beating him up. And <laughs> for a moment, I thought they were actually going to beat the shit out of him because Superman's like, I don't, I don't want to fight you, but I will, and it's going to hurt. And they're like, we heard you don't have your powers anymore and this and that. So they take a shot at him and he kind of reels back for a minute. And, you know, he, he looks like he's actually kind of stunned or hurt. And then Clark comes back with a punch of his own and knocks the kid like I probably 10, 15 feet back <laughs> into mm-hmm. uh, into the street. And Clark's like, I, I guess I still got it. You know, so he still has some power left, but it's very, very minimal. Like he couldn't go and fight any superpowered villain right now. He's he's I if you had to equate it to something, he's probably closer to Daredevil than like anything else. He's more just a crime fighter who knows how to fight and is a little bit stronger than the average man. So yeah, you know, uh it's it's a cool book. He gets back to Metropolis and the the book sort of gets a little dark after that. Like you find out he comes back to the city that hates him. And that's no small, like, description. This city really does hate him. Most people there do not like him, do not want him there. Feel like, you know, he's just this alien that was hiding in plain sight. And, you know, they they want him gone. And uh, the police feel that way. However, the government uh, tells the police to let him through the barricade at the start of the city. And he gets to go to his old block, which is like a celebration for him. Uh... Really, that was the only place where he was welcome is his home, which is nice because the Fortress of Solitude kicked him out. He doesn't have a home right now. So Does it not recognize it, him? Actually, that's exactly it. Really? Yeah, so since he depowered, the, the Fortress was like, nope, not you, taking your suit. You can go suck a dick. Get out of here. Wow. And yeah, so that's, that's how he sort of ends up traveling, you know, the U.S. because he's got nowhere else to go. Anyway, uh, yeah, so so a monster shows up, and the he hears it over one of the police radios, and, you know, one of the policewomen who lives on the block was like, listen, it's not your job. Stay out of it. And he's like, no, no, it'll always be my job. So even though he's depowered, he still has some ability. So he runs off on his motorcycle to go meet this huge shadow monster thing. It looks pretty intimidating. Kind of, It's like the size of, like, a, an elephant. Uh, just very scary looking. And he goes, and I, I guess he got some of his powers back and the travel back to Metropolis because he does like a sort of a super jump onto a, uh, a I guess a, a trailer, and then he tries to jump onto the building that this monster's on, but he falls slightly short, and he's like, well, yeah, I guess I don't have all my powers back. So he climbs up, and then he punches this thing right in the fucking face, and they start, like, duking it out as well as a four-legged monster could. And the police are watching him the whole time with the firefighters and all that, and the police actually report back to the SWAT team that you see at the beginning that didn't want to let him into the city, and they say, Superman's occupied now, now would be the time to do this. This being, they're going to burn down the block that celebrated Superman so well. So they're going to burn down his block and just take everything he loved away. And I guess they're going to try and make him be the bad guy to where he has to leave. So, yeah, dude, it's really fucked up. And, like, I'm like, really? You know, that's that's terrible, man. That is not cool at all. So I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm very, very excited for Depowered Superman. I'm also excited for the Superman-Batman stuff that's going on. I'm hoping this sort of just ties into Superman-Batman, where maybe he has to leave Metropolis because of this, and then when he ends up in Gotham, this will sort of keep going. So I want to see where this goes. I'm pretty excited. Um, I I like it. It was it was good. Art was great. Greg Pak's on the book, so I, I mean, I love Greg Pak. He's, he's great, so... I don't think he has that um that ab- ability anymore mainly because I think convergence fucked up quite a bit. So, you know, I, I it doesn't seem like the Justice League is in the same place as it was. Um 
Also, um, I, I guess I should sort of switch gears now because this sort of ties into it. I read Batman Beyond. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well here, here's the thing. Um, I read... I I reread the end of Future's End because I I was I was a little confused. Well, no, no, no. I, you know, I I didn't hate the ending. Like as as long as the story was, and as many dumb things as there were in the book, like the the fifty Sue character and all that shit. The book itself was good. If I if I maybe had the chance to read it as a trade, just you know, not having to wait. 52 fucking weeks for this to end um i probably would have enjoyed it a lot more and going back and reading the last issue it leaves off with tim drake in the future batman beyond future with brother i having sort of won again and him being like this isn't over and then i go into the batman beyond book and uh it sort of it's it's like it skipped uh a little bit here because we don't have uh, where the book left off. There, his love interest isn't there. Ray Palmer isn't there. Future Ray Palmer. Uh, none of these freedom fighters that were staving off uh, Brother Eye are there. And he's in Gotham, which is the only city that is safe from Brother Eye because they have some sort of cloaking technology. Is any of that explained in Convergence? Because that's what I wanted to ask you. What the fuck? Like, uh, you know. that you know that's that's my issue because i i listened to you talk about convergence for 8 weeks and like you we we came to an ending and i i read superman and i was like this is sort of weird but maybe i just needed to read you know issues you know 37 to 40 and i probably would have been okay and then i was like no no like where you know they're they're not explaining a lot you know um where where where's the justice league where where is you know all of his buddies that would help him in this situation and they're not there yeah no neither neither did i because i feel like i need to read more justice league to have a good grasp on that book i am going to read it however um yeah i you know and I'm curious to see Bat God. Yeah, that's a thing, you know. So I, I wanna I don't want it I don't want it to happen, but it's there. So I you know, I'm gonna see it. However, back to Batman Beyond. Um good book. Like, you know, it's it's Batman Beyond. It's cool. But it's weird because Brother Eye is still an opponent in this book. Um the the book opens up with the Joker gang because there is no more Joker. He he has bit the dust a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away, and um, shout out to Star Wars, <laughs> and um, big big fan of the show George Lucas Turkey Neck. Uh, anyway, um, it it's it opens up with the Jokers and they're taking this cube out of this like defense security area. And this cube apparently is a cloaking device that stops the the brother eye from seeing them, so he doesn't try to send his minions to go and take out everything. Um, so I, I guess the Jokers are all about anarchy. So their idea of a good time is letting the city go to waste by this huge diabolical eye that can send its fucking robots to assimilate the entire population. Um, so Tim Drake comes in, he stops them, puts the cube back, but I guess that's how we learned that Brother Eye is still a threat here. Um, they weren't just going to let it sit, which, you know, is smart because, uh, you know, you left the last Future's End book with saying that, you know, this isn't over. Uh, so I guess this is just the opening to what's going to happen, but they don't explain what happened to his love interest, Madison, who's... 35 years older than him here. They don't explain what happened to Ray Palmer, who saved his ass, and they sure as shit don't explain uh, what happened to him in the meantime and how he ends up in Gotham, which I'm very curious about. He actually ends up staying with um, uh, 
uh, um, what's his name? Terry McGinnis's best friend uh, and his brother. So there's this point where he comes back to the the place he's staying at, and you know he's confronted with the kid who's staring at him on the couch, and it's it's Terry's brother, and he's like, you know, I I didn't I didn't want it to be this way. You know, your brother's a hero, and the kid is obviously upset. So he he says the normal teenager thing, like, yeah yeah, it's not your fault. You know, Terry did what he could, blah, blah. He's a hero and fucking walks off in a huff. But, I mean, it, it's it's kind of tough to, to read because Terry was Batman Beyond since Batman Beyond was a thing. It, it kind of... Right, so if, it feels a little weird that uh, he's not there. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Tim Drake's cool. Uh, it, it's a bit more mature of a book because Terry was a lot younger. <laughs> so... Uh, it's, it's neat. I, I do like it. I think just, it's going to take some time for a lot of this post-convergence stuff to sit well. Again, I liked both of them. It was just that it was sort of weird jumping into these books with zero to almost no backstory. So, I'm, I, I gotta see. Right, and it. Yeah, it's 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 just weird, and I mean, I appreciate them keeping, uh, you know, our our Batman that you know kicked the bucket out of the the um convergence issues for the most part. So you know that that was nice, but besides that, I mean, it was sort of it. It's it's weird, you know. Uh, it, it's you know what was affected, what wasn't. We really don't know, but I guess maybe this is DC trying to make up for a bit maybe they'll take their time trying to explain this so you know they don't put themselves in another bad spot with continuity or anything right you know i i think they realized convergence didn't sell the way they wanted to so they got to be careful with these next few months so they can guarantee that they can come back out of this yes yes of course we always need another crisis all right, cool. Um, and then I get to the book that I didn't hate, but I didn't love. I read Sonic Boom. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, like. It. It felt like it was shoehorned in. Like it felt. It felt like these characters didn't belong. It takes place with the one character that probably had the least to do with any of it. Which was the new character that was added with Sonic Boom? Um, her, her, what's her name? Sticks, the the badger thing. Yeah. Um. So it's it's she's sort of the comical relief in Sonic Boom, from what I gather. So she's walking around. She's saying all this dumb stuff. Again, this is probably funny for what the book is normally catering to, which is younger, like young young kids. Um. But you know. To tie this into an arc that's a little bit more serious, eh, you know, I I really could have done without it. The only cool thing is, is that Mega Man, sh uh, I'm sorry, not Mega Man, X shows up. And I love Mega Man X. I love him more than anything. Not only does he show up, Zero shows up. So uh, what happens is they actually team up with uh, Sticks and... You know, it turns into this thing where they're like, we got dropped in the wrong dimension. We need to get into the where Sigma is to take him out. So Styx is like, well, Dr. Robotnik has stuff for that. So let's go find our Dr. Robotnik. And they put the hour in quotes so we realize that it's not the same Dr. Robotnik that, you know, they're fucking dealing with in the 
um, Worlds Unite actual story arc. Worlds Unite proper, if you will. There you and, go. And uh, this is the Sonic Boom Eggman. You really don't... I actually don't think you don't see him. Uh, you just see his little helper bots like Orbot and Cubot, and they come out, and then Zero threatens them by cutting them into pieces. So they shut the fuck up. They build the time distortion thing and then Styx goes with them to save the day um cut to like halfway through the book it turns into more actual Sonic the Hedgehog universe which is a bit more doable for me because at least I know a lot of these characters and I know the story going on and this is you know Princess Sally King Acorn the Freedom Fighters all that that I like like that's a pretty decent story so when they show up, I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to get into some some stuff like that. Turns out that uh, where we left off last issue with all uh, Mega Man and Sonic in trouble in those tubes, well, yep, they're done. They're now roboticized. So Mega Man's bad and Sonic the Hedgehog is that bad. That sucks. However, the design on Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, whose name is now Sonic Man because Wily designed him. Because so, why not? Yeah, you know. Really cool, man. Super angular. Looks like a really neat robot. Looks quick. Uh, just looks great. Super solid. And he happens to turn up in the Mega Man universe. So basically what they do is a swap. Wily designed Sonic. Sonic goes to the Mega Man universe to take out Dr. Light and all, you know, those bots. Eggman designs Mega Man. Calls him Meg. Meg. Egg. Meh, meh, uh, meh, egg, okay. uh, man. Yeah. Okay. Kind of lame. That's also that's a design thing. for um Mega Man. Way less cool than Sonic. He's got mutton chops, gold mutton Ew. chops. Ew. Yeah, really weird. And they stick out like like a mustache almost. It's it's really bizarre, and I I don't like it. Uh, he's also got like really odd colors, uh, and it just. It doesn't look as good as the Sonic one does, but Dr. Robot Dr. Eggman made him. So that's why cuz Dr. Eggman's fucking lame and Dr. Wily fucking rules. So that's yeah. why. Um that's where the book leaves off, you know, uh Sonic in the Sonic universe, uh King King Acorn is getting his ass kicked by Mega Man and in the Mega Man universe Dr. Light and the police are really having a tough time with Sonic because he is the fastest thing on two legs. What I'm kind of hoping happens is that <clears throat> maybe Dr. Light will turn Quick Man and all of them back online and be like, listen, we need your help. You, you have a purpose again. Fight this thing. And then, you know, that'll be like sort of a cool redemption for them and like a bit of a crossover type deal. Yeah, that seems to be the natural uh, progression of that story. You know, I I hope they just wouldn't put that on the back burner till we're till we're done with all this. So I would hope that you know he turns those bad bots back online that aren't so much bad anymore. They just don't have a place, and he's like, "I need you to fight, fight for me, please." And you know they'll do it because they they are reprogrammed to do good. It's just they don't feel like they have a purpose. Well, now they have a purpose. Right. They need to take out Sonic Man. So. I hope that's where it goes. We'll see what happens. Again, you're going to have to read this to, you know, connect the dots here. However, I wish you didn't have to. It's not the best book. Um, the art's fine and everything. It's just Sonic Boom doesn't have a place here. It doesn't because this is strictly between the Sonic universe, uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog universe stuff and the Mega Man universe stuff. This just seems like extra. I mean, even the the Mega Man X guys have a place because Sigma is the you know the big bad boss here. Right. Whereas the Sonic Boom, you don't even see Eggman. He doesn't show up in the entire book. Which, thank God, I really don't want to see anything with you know another Eggman in it because again, I read the first issue of Sonic Boom. It wasn't good. It was super childish. And again, you know, I'm 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 sure it has a place. It just doesn't have a place with me. It's just not here. Yeah, you know, so I... Now, are the, are the Sonic Boom universes and Sonic the Hedgehog universe, are those different? I don't know if it's in the future or if it's just another universe entirely. The way they're making it look like is that it's another universe right now. However, uh, seeing part of the gameplay for Sonic Boom 
it sort of sounds like it's way in the future and this was a descendant of Sonic the Hedgehog. So there may be multiple Sonic the Hedgehogs running around? Possibly? Yeah. (laughs) You don't sound happy about that. No, because Sonic Boom Sonic isn't cool, man. He drives a fucking car. Like, he's not that fast. He's stupid. So is Knuckles. He plays a fucking meathead. Are you for real? Are you fucking for real? You're going with stereotypes. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And I can't even blame Ian Flynn for this. This is Archie, man. This this reeks of fucking Archie being like, yeah, make him the meathead, make Amy the girly girl who's in love with Sonic, make Tails a fucking tool bag, and make Sticks well, the comic it, relief. So, you know. Isn't that just the way the game is? I mean, he's being true to the game. In And maybe so. the Sonic boom. Uh, Yeah, you know what? You're right, I, I guess. You know, it sucks because these aren't, you know, original IPs, so he can't necessarily just Right, have his there's only so him. much he can do. Yeah, you know, he doesn't have... And like I said, I'm not blaming him for this. It, it, the story wasn't bad, and it did progress a little bit at least. It was just that I wish he didn't have to use the characters, which I know he did because it was a Sonic Boom book. So, you know, if, if you're going to get into the Worlds Unite stuff, you got to read it. It's not the worst thing in the world. Just look forward to the cool roboticized Mega Man Sonic at the end, and you'll get through it like I did. Also, Mega All Man right. X, man. Come on, Mega Man X. Mega Man X. Exactly. Got to love it. Yeah, so, uh, Dan, I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, let's keep on moving. All right. Well, I read, uh, because I was homesick this week, all week, feeling miserable and like a child. Uh, So I read like 12 books this week. So I'm just going to jump through and and get through a couple of these quickly to start with before we get into the meat and pick up uh, the Secret Wars slack here for for Evan not being here this week. But uh, Invincible number 120 came out a couple weeks ago. And this book may be my favorite comic book that's published every month. We don't talk about it terribly often, but it is just such a consistently great book. And issue 120 really shows just how strong of an artist Ryan Otley is. I feel like he might be one of the most underrated artists that is working in comics today. I, the The very first page after the cover, I mean, page number one of the book is Battle Beast, just destroyed after this like five or six issue fight that he's been having with General Thrag. And it is just a big page of battle beasts like face and his hair and it's all matted and he's super bloody and he says, thank you. And you flip to the next page and you see general thrag ripping out battle beasts like stomach from inside of his body. And there's just, it is one of the bloodiest craziest pages that I've ever seen. And he, he killed battle beast is dead, right? So that really sucks. Cause I love the battle beast character. And then as we go through the book, it transitions from that, like there's a little bit of, you know, Battle Beast's, uh, uh, his, his lover is very pissed and she wants to join Battle Beast in the afterlife. You get a little bit of Mark and his brother uh, on a planet trying to see, you know, what General Thrag had done to it. There's some time with them on a spaceship looking around <clears throat> for signs of life uh, that have, are left over from this battle that has gone on and kind of torn the universe apart. And then it transitions into Mark in invincible being a dad. Cause he's got a baby now. And there's two pages that have 16 panels a piece. So you get 32 straight panels of Mark just playing with his kid and the storytelling that's done from panel to panel. And the artwork here is just as good as, and just as impactful as the bloody battle between Battle Beast and Thrag. And it's really incredible to see Otley transition between those two things. You get a little bit more of Mark and and the baby. He, you know, they he's out for a date, you know, with uh with his wife, and they're they're just out being parents, just on this weird planet and trying to figure out what their place in the universe is. And then we cut to at the very end, back to General Thrag. Um, and all these bug women that he is having babies with because he is trying to repopulate the Viltrumite Empire. And the last page of this book is General Thrag wearing 
Battle Beast as a pelt. Oh, that's like not cool, man. <laughs> he skinned him and he's wearing him. And it it's such a badass panel, but made me so sad at the same time because I really liked that character. But he's got a big Battle Beast cape. Um, it, it's it's awesome. I mean, Invincible, 120 issues into this book. There hasn't been a bad issue yet. I actually started I, it's reading incredible. that, and it's it's a really solid book. And I mean, it starts with him as a teenager, the the invincible yeah. character. So seeing this progression keep going like that is is really amazing. I it's it's just been one of the best, most consistent stories that I've seen. I, it, Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley are doing incredible work every month on Invincible. And right at the top of the book, it says, you know, the best comic book you'll read or, or something like that. It's, I forget what the exact uh, tagline is, or the best, the best superhero comic in the universe and superheroes crossed out. So the best comic in the universe. And they're really not that far off. It's pretty goddamn great. I also read Star Wars number six. Um, I've been planning to read this in trade. Is it the Secret uh, Wars just, tie-in? No, not a Secret Wars tie-in, oh. surprisingly enough. But I, I'd been planning to read this in trade after this first arc was over because John Cassidy is off this book uh, with this issue. He was only signed on for the first six. <clears throat> but according to internet reports, this was the issue that was going to break the internet and big things were going to happen. And basically what you get in this issue is a fight between Luke Skywalker and Boba Fett that looks beautiful because Cassidy's artwork in this book um, while it hasn't been as consistent as he's been previously, this issue has been phenomenal. The, the fight between Luke and Boba Fett was really cool. That was interspersed with these little moments of Han and Princess Leia down on this weird planet and Han telling her like, look, we're safe. Nobody else knows about this planet. You know, I, I promise you, me and Chewie found this a long time ago. There's, there's nobody else that can find us here. We're safe. And as he's saying that, naturally, a spaceship shows up, shoots a laser beam at them, um, and a woman pops out. And Leia says, basically, you know, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And Or she asks Han, you know, who is that? And this woman pops out of the spaceship and says, why bother asking him? He's just going to lie to you. By the way, my name is Sana Solo, and I'm his wife. Stop! Oh, so, what? Because this book is canon, apparently Han Solo was married previously. What a thug. Yeah. And that's where the book ends. Like, and then we, we flash back to Luke for a little bit. He finds uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's journal. Uh, Boba Fett goes and tells Darth Vader that, you know, I lost, I lost the guy that we were tracking. And, you know, but I did find out his name. And, you know, Vader just kind of looks at him. He says Skywalker, because at, at this part of the story, Vader doesn't know that Luke is his son yet. Boba Fett walks away. Vader balls up his fist. And then the last panel of the book is uh, the, the glass on the spaceship that Vader is on cracking through the, uh, you know, because he's angry. Because of the right? force. So because of the force. It was a really good issue. Uh, this Star Wars book has been really really awesome i've been very pleasantly surprised that they've been able to add to the canon with a story that we all you know we all already know that it's it's a very difficult thing to do because uh we kind of know how this ends well yeah you got to tiptoe around the rest of the story because it's that's already canon you're tipping around pre-existing canon so they're filling in spots but you got to be really careful because you could fuck things up really bad really quick Right, and this Han Solo having a wife, this could be a massive fuck-up, or it could be really, really cool. And I have faith in Jason Aaron as a writer that this will end up being really cool, um, but we'll see. Who knows? I'm down for the space pimp. I'm down for it. Yeah, why not? It makes sense for the character. I feel like I don't... Reading that, I wasn't like, oh, what the fuck, you guys, you don't understand, you know, like typical fanboy nonsense. It's like, no. That works. That makes sense for Han Solo as a character, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree with um, Yeah. Moving on from that, uh, the, the DC book that I was most excited about coming out of Convergence came out this week, Bizarro Number 1. 
It is a six-issue limited series. Was it a bad book? Uh, yes. This am the worst comic ever. <laughs> All okay. right, cool. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. Uh, Bizarro is a really interesting character. He's been portrayed as kind of a mindless brute. He's been portrayed as a zombie. He's been portrayed uh, comedically before. And, and he works in short spurts. I'm very, very happy that this is a six-issue miniseries. Because much like th- there is no ongoing story here. I don't even know that there's enough story for this to go six. This seems kind of like a four issue miniseries to me. But the basic premise is that um, Lois Lane told Clark Kent that or, or told Jimmy Olsen that she thought Bizarro was Superman's brother. Superman or Clark Kent decides that Bizarro has to go and he convinces Jimmy Olsen to drive him to drive Bizarro to Canada because that's Bizarro America and to write a coffee table book about it, about their journeys. So this is basically just a road trip story of Jimmy Olsen and Bizarro. And it starts off with them uh, driving in the car and Bizarro, like not being able to pick a station on the radio and Jimmy Olsen just kind of looking really put out that he's even in this situation. Uh, Bizarro is, eats a cheeseburger and gets like ketchup and mustard all over the car. They crash the car. I want to see this uh, now. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. They crash the car because Bizarro has a pet chupacabra. Because why not? A what? Uh, yeah. He's, he says, uh, he, he, like, he pulls this chupacabra thing out of the back of the car and it jumps all over uh, Jimmy Olsen's face. Uh, his name is Colin, by the way. Colin the Chupacabra. I love it. I fucking lo- I need to read this. Yeah, it, it's it it's pretty awesome. Um, turns out that Colin is actually an alien, uh, and that's kind of how the book ends. With uh, well, before we get to the end of the book, they so they get into a car accident. They wreck the car. Bizarro ends up walking, uh, walking Jimmy Olsen and Colin and the car through the town. They stop at a diner in um in Smallville and they see a TV commercial for King Tut's slightly used car Oasis and there is uh this guy and it's the for every really awful used car commercial that you can imagine of like you think you're funny but you're really not funny man like you've just had people in your life tell you you're funny for a while that's what this guy is he's He's just making pun after pun of like King Tut and Egyptian puns that you could make with used car sales. He is the Pharaoh of Pharaoh deals. Uh, What's there to Sphinx about? Uh, Get out of denial and get into this car. Like just ridiculous shit. And he's got this uh, smoking hot daughter that Jimmy Olsen sees on the TV commercial. He falls, you know, Jimmy Olsen instantly falls madly in love with her. They decide to go to this car dealership. This guy starts uh, wheeling and dealing and is convincing Jimmy Olsen to buy this car. Uh, Bizarro stops him from making a bad deal because apparently Bizarro is good at uh, car negotiating. Uh, Stops him from making a bad deal. They just end up getting the car fixed. Uh, King Tut is a little pissed off that he wasn't able to make a sale. And he starts praying to Osiris and Isis and Horus. Wait, what the fuck? He, he, he actually... Okay. All right, this is getting so weird. He, yep, yep. He starts praying to them and Horus and... Or uh, Osiris, Horus, and Anubis show up. And they give him the Staff of Ra. <laughs> so this weird little used car salesman has got this Staff of Ra. And then we see that it was actually three aliens that are searching for Colin, uh, but they just decided to fuck with this guy, but they give him this staff that turns all of Smallville kind of into zombies that want to buy cars. They start, like, walking through the town to buy a car with, I don't know, they all have, their eyes are all, like, glossed over and weird, and, you know, it it ends with, uh, come Smallville... King Tut says, come Smallville and pay over Blue Book valuation. This will be my greatest quarter ever. Okay, which is so 
pretty fucking great. Th- this is essentially DC's attempt at making a Howard the Duck or like unbeatable Squirrel Girl type deal. Yes. Okay. I like and it. And it was great. I like it. Okay. This is the this artwork be in this book, dude. The artwork in this book, out of control, great. Yeah. Out of control, great. Um, just really like perfect cartoon like almost cartoon strip style artwork yeah uh just uh, just great beautiful to look at the colors were great uh like i said six issues of this is going to be more than enough you won't need much more after this but it's going to be a really great six issues i'm i'm very very happy with this book and it's gotten great reviews so far as well well sweet deal i'm i'm pretty pumped for it let's uh let's see where it goes i'm i'm gonna read it actually when we're done because that just sounds like a fun book and i need more fun in my life especially from dc yeah it's one of the these things that dc has really been lacking in has been um a variety in their storytelling everything has been so similar not i and this is pre-convergence too i mean all the convergence books were similar but pre-convergence everything was kind of looked the same, sounded the same. Like, it was just very much a house style. Yeah, it was all like, they they just kind of wanted to be like their movies, and everything was super dark and super damn serious. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want serious all the time. I like serious, don't get me wrong. Batman's great, you know? But Yeah, sure. But there's a place for everything. Yeah, well, I don't need every book to be like Batman. No. And and every book shouldn't be like Batman, because not everybody is Batman. Right. So anyway, uh, so that pretty much takes care of everything not Secret Wars related for this week. So we'll close out with a little round robin uh, Secret Wars thing here. There were a bunch of tie in issues this week. And Dean, you brought up a good point. We were talking before we started recording, but why don't you bring that up again? The the good thing that Marvel is doing with these Secret Wars tie in books. Right. So you can read these tie in books if you want. But you don't have to. So don't feel compelled to go up to your comic book store with a stack of 12 issues and feel like you are obligated to buy these. You can only buy the main story, and it's completely understandable. Now, just to tell you guys, if you haven't read Secret Wars yet, there's an eight-year gap between when the first issue happens and when God Doom shows up and that world is there. So all these Battle World books and Secret War times that you're reading sort of fill in the gaps to how this world operates. It's not necessary to keep going with the um the the Secret Wars actual main storyline. So like I said, don't don't feel like you have to read all this. It's 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 fun stuff to read. Uh, a lot of it's pretty cool, but it doesn't. It's not running at the same time that the Secret Wars stuff is happening. It might, but it takes place at a totally different place for most of it. So, like I said, don't don't feel like you have to spend fifty bucks to get the most out of the story. Yeah, the Marvel and DC have been have very famously come out and said every time that they've published one of these events of you only need to buy the main book to get the full story. And that has always been bullshit up to this point. So far with Secret Wars 1, 2, and 3, you only need to read Secret Wars 1, 2, and 3. And that may change in the future. And if it does, we will certainly let you know about it because we're still making Evan read all of the tie-in issues. Yes. Even though he really doesn't necessarily want to. But for everybody else out there, so far... One, two, and three is all you need. And like Dean said, some of these tie-ins are really good, and other ones, uh, you know, they're kind of just there as filler, and they're kind of fun. Um, Let's jump through them real quick. I'll I'll start with, uh, did you read any of the tie-ins this week, Dean? No, I did not. Okay. Um, I'll jump in and start with what was my favorite one for the week, which was Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. Uh, with which was written by Dan Slott, so has the regular creative team um, or the regular writer on it, and the art was done by Adam Kubert or Kubert, and <coughs> basically this un- undoes the ridiculous story 
from like eight or nine years ago at this point of where Spider-Man makes a deal with Mephisto to save, I think it was to save Aunt May's life, but in order to save her life, Mephisto wanted the Peter and Mary Jane not to be married, and the whole world was going to forget it. It was fucking stupid. It was really bad. And Joe Casada, who I love and respect Mr. Casada, and he's done a lot of really great things for comics in general, but for Marvel in particular... Um, when he was coming out and giving his rationale for why he wanted this story published, he was editor-in-chief at the time that the story came out, he was saying that, you know, it's more interesting to tell stories about a Spider-Man who is not married, a Spider-Man who is younger. Keeping him married makes him seem like an older guy, and it's just not as much fun, and as it's not a really good argument. Like, if you have a good writer, you can write good stories kind of regardless of the surrounding situation of the character. But here in this world, it is a, a Secret Wars tie-in, so things have kind of been undone and remade, and Peter Parker and Mary Jane are married, they have a baby, and nine pages into the issue, or ten pages into the issue, Peter Parker comes home, there has been a massive breakout at Rikers, and Eddie Brock, Venom, is sitting on Peter Parker's couch with his arm around Mary Jane and his tentacles wrapped around his baby. And it is so disturbing. That's terrifying. It, it's so frightening. And Peter, as one would imagine, loses his shit and just fucking beats the hell out of Venom. And it basically, you know, says, that's it. Like, I have to go all out at this point. Venom is now attacking my family. There's there's a subplot going on of some X-Men that are fighting and some Avengers that are fighting against this thing called Regent. Um, it wasn't really the main focus, but this guy, I'm sure it will come in the next couple of issues. He is killing off heroes and um, absorbing their powers, which is kind of a strange thing. Like, he's basically... Kind of like what they did with Deadpool in the Wolverine Origins movie, where like he would absorb powers and shit. Right. This guy is is basically doing that, and the Avengers are like, "Come on, Spidey, we need you to go fight." And he's like, "Nah, fuck you, man. I got to go take care of my family." Basically, Spidey and is running around the city fighting Venom. Uh, they end up in a burning building. Um, Mary Jane turns on the sirens. Uh, which, you know, as we know from previous Venom stories, he can't handle the sound. The sound is the thing that really, really bothers him. In addition to fire, Peter knocks him into this burning building, uh, beats the shit out of him, and basically drops a building on him. And where we're left at the end of this issue is Peter Parker killing Venom, seemingly. Right? You see the hand kind of coming out of the rubble, and then, and then the hand goes limp. And that was it. And we, we see the last couple of pages. This guy, Regent, has taken over. And Peter Parker has retired. He is not Spider-Man anymore. And he is just walking uh, with his daughter, who has grown up, it, it seems like, five or six years later. Uh, he's just walking with her, you know, down the street. It says, to be continued. Interesting. So, yeah, it was really good. Like, it was just a really well-done story. <clears throat> um. So jumping from that over to Superior Iron Man number nine, this book kind of takes place outside of Secret Wars, but it is um, the last Superior Iron Man book that will be published. Uh, and as we said at the beginning of the show, Bendis and Marquez will be taking over for Invincible Iron Man coming out of Secret Wars. This issue saw Tony uh, really just being an asshole and fighting all of his uh, previously designed suits. He's got the symbiote suit kind of like venom um in here the superior iron man suit pepper shows up and hits him just like they did in the spider-man issue with the big sound wave thing and that knocks tony out they go in they have a big conversation with him and then tony wakes up he's been playing possum the whole time and even throws that in there and says you know really pepper did you really think that i wouldn't you know take care of that one weakness. Yes, I have a symbiote suit. You think you can hurt me with sound waves? Come on now. And he basically flies out of there and Pepper says, look, 
that's fine. You can leave. You can be an asshole. I am in charge of the biggest media company in the world right now. I'm going to let everybody know you're an asshole. You can keep doing what you're going to do, but you're going to do it alone and you're going to die alone and no one will love did, you did, and no one will respect did you. Did they ever explain why he just became an asshole all of a sudden? Uh, yeah, after uh, the Axis event earlier this yeah. year, um, Tony Stark never reverted back. So when he went evil, he stayed evil. Oh, what a dick. Yeah, pretty much. So that's that. Superior Iron Man is done. The last panel was Tony sitting there in his armor with a bottle of Jack Daniels, which we know never works out well for Tony. So now we get to go to the redemption arc. Um, you had Armor Wars number one, which showed a different section of Battle World, which was the uh, Techopolis. Um, you get Armor Wars number one, which is showing Baron Tony Stark is the Baron of Techopolis. Uh, like we said, completely unnecessary to understand what is going on in Secret Wars, but an interesting little story on a different section of the world right now. It is being run by Tony Stark. There's a ton of technology throughout the world. Like everybody in the city is wearing a suit. So everybody has an Iron Man suit. Uh, there's some hints that Tony's brother Arno is going to be the big bad guy of this little two or three issue arc. So it was pretty interesting. Not necessary, but it was pretty good. Uh, Future Imperfect number one jumps back to the maestro which is when Dr. Bruce Banner has decided that he is going to be the strongest and smartest and basically take over the world. It was a Peter David story from the mid-90s that was really, really awesome. The Future Imperfect Trade, if you guys want to pick that up, really great book. I, you'll love it. This revisits that. Maestro is, or Maestro is apparently, along with Old Man Logan, going to survive the Secret Wars event and be a big player in the Marvel Universe afterwards. So this one will probably turn out to be uh, relatively important, but uh, the overall story inside was pretty cool. It's got uh, Bruce Banner impersonating Odin, uh, some people trying to lead a resistance against Dr. Bruce Banner and him kind of getting, uh, getting the one up on them and then kind of seeing where it's going to go from there. It was cool. I liked it. Uh, the... Scotty Young book for this week was a giant size little Marvel Avengers versus X-Men completely unnecessary for the overall book but if you like Scotty, Scotty Young's cutesy little artwork the the chibi versions of the characters uh, this book was just fun it was just silly stories of little Avengers and little X-Men fighting each other over stupid shit like who has the better taco stand and that sort of thing like it was a cute little book um X-Men Extinction Agenda was was pretty good. Uh, again, it's tying back into uh, a 90s arc where you had Strife coming back from the future and kind of playing havoc with all the X-Men and they're, they're trying to, to find a cure for this mutant virus that is killing lots of them. The X-Men that are being trapped on the world of Genosha or the, the battle world version of Genosha can't get out. They're kind of quarantined there. They're pissed about it. So they lead an attack out on the regular X-Men. They're trying to, to get some people that they think can help them, but God doom refuses to let them out to help the X-Men trapped on Genosha. Cause he doesn't want to infect everybody and get them killed. Right? So he's trying to be a benevolent leader, even though that means he has to make hard decisions. Um, I like this book because I like Havoc a lot. He's probably my favorite X-Men, and he is the focus of this book. It was pretty good. The art was a little rough in this one. I didn't love that. Uh, it's very wordy, kind of like all 90s X-Men books were, but it was pretty good. I, I, don't, it, I don't know that that's one that I would recommend a ton of people picking up. Uh, however, Years of Future Past, number one, shows that world as well. And this is where, like reading these this week, this is where Secret Wars starts to get a little worrisome for me because now at this point, I think I've seen six different versions of Wolverine running around. And I know that the different battle worlds don't really interact with each other, but I'm really curious to see how Marvel is going to, uh, to handle that and not have this be just a giant 
fucking mess at the end of the at the end of the well, day. Well, isn't the main one gonna come through as the uh the that girl Wolverine? Or is that just a secret Wars well, that- tie-in? No, that's that's going to happen afterwards. Okay. X-23 is going to take over as the new Wolverine. And then Old Man Logan is supposedly going to make his way through Secret Wars somehow. But in this one, in Years of Future Past, we get the Days of Future Past Wolverine, which is the iconic look of him in the leather jacket with the gray streaks in the hair. Is he two feet tall? Uh, yeah, he's pretty short. Good. That's all that but matters. Then then he's also got a son in this one um, who's a mutant and Kitty Pride is now Kate Pride and they're fighting the Sentinels and all. And it, if you were a fan of Days of Future Past, this book is kind of right up your alley. Uh, didn't really tie into the overall event very much, but it was a good book and really kind of just, you know, like we said, fleshes out that world. But that brings us to, to wrap us up for this week, Secret Wars number three. So... Dean, what were your thoughts? Dude, fuck, man. This is good. This is really fucking good. Um, so, long story short, well, the Cabal got out, so, well, fuck. And then, <laughs> you know, Strange, uh, who is the sheriff of this here town, world, place, uh, brings the Thor that witnessed the Cabal getting out and was like, do the same thing that little alien guy did. Just, Just do it. And Thor's like, well, I don't know if I could think. And the thing comes down. The the heroes come out, and it's it's all happy go lucky. They're meeting each other. Everything's a little bewildered. And then Reed gets out, and things are sad. Things are so yeah. sad. Um, it's it's a good book, man. It's fucking solid. Uh, I especially like the fact that now that we have a bit more. Backstory on God Doom. You know, he he's our Doom. He's six one six Doom. Yes, and we we find and out Doctor Strange is our Doctor yeah, our six one six Doctor Strange, and we we find out that Doom saved everyone. He he's not. I mean, I'm sure he had his own selfish reasons at the beginning, but it turns out oh, sure. he he saved this world and made it his own, and I. So what if he wants to be a god? It's cool. I I can't blame him. He made an entire world and saved the existence of humanity. Good for him. I like it. Uh, however, you, I what I'm not getting is that Susan Storm is 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 that our our Susan? That's what I'm wondering right now. No, the the six one six Susan died. Died. Okay. Right, that's why Reed is so sad. Well, I, I was just like, I was like, maybe, maybe Doom grabbed it, maybe, maybe that's what he did. I'm, I'm hoping maybe that there's like a reunion there, but I doubt it. You know, it just probably not gonna happen. However, that shit with uh, Johnny Storm was kind of freaking awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. You want to, you want Johnny Storm? You want to go tell him being the son? Yeah. Yeah, shit's ridiculous. Well, I if you've made it this far, was and that an issue? You too? I realized we spoil things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That 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 was bananas. Like it's just him it, as like flaring up as hard as he can, and that's his punishment for all eternity to be the sun. But then you find out people are worshiping him on the ground because he gives light to everything, and I I think Thanos also makes like a very quick quip about it. He's like. That sun looks like it's orbiting us, not the other way around. That is, yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, that was this issue. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's 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 a it's it's just such a good book. It's done well. They're doing a great job at keeping it strictly to this story arc as well. There's there's not other things that you have to read these other books for. It's all contained in here, which is good, which is why I like it because I don't have to spend. 40 to $50 on it. I, I like that. I like where it's going, too. Like, there's going to be some big battle coming very soon because the Thor Corps comes down at the end of the book, and they're about to butt heads with the Cabal, so I want to see what happens. I want to see if the Thor Corps is super strong or if they're just going to be a bunch of punks. Probably going to be they're just a bunch of punks. Probably. Well, and we get some really, um, like, meaty information in this book. We find out that God Doom and Doctor Strange both remember what had happened 
prior to the creation of Battle Ah, uh, yes, but they're the only two that remember. But they're the only two that remember until they the Thor opens up the ship that had that Doctor Strange had had for eight years, and all of these heroes come pouring out, and it's well, Miles Morales is in there, and Reed Richards. And uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and Jane Foster, Thor, Captain Marvel is in there, uh, Cyclops, who has become the Phoenix, is in there, Black Panther is in there, and wait, wait, just, I think that just was, real quick, or Star-Lord. Is this, is this douchebag Cyclops? Yes. Okay, just need to make sure because I haven't read an X-Man book in a long time. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is douchebag Cyclops. They all come, come out of this ship. But they all remember what things were like previous. And then you've got the Cabal, which is Thanos and Terex and all those other characters and Ultimate Reed Richards and Namor. Um, they remember what had happened previously. So that'll be interesting to see. But we get in this issue, for the first time in 60-something years of Marvel continuity, uh, we get to see what Doctor Doom's face looks like underneath the mask. It ain't pretty. No, it is not. It is, it is massively hideously disfigured, and he's got this really great kind of tragic air about him of all of these things that he has done. He's saved the world. He has given people basically everything that they ever wanted. He is a god, but he cannot fix his own well, face. They give him such contrast. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like... You want to not like him because when you find out it's it's regular doom, it's like, well, fuck this guy. Are you serious? Like he's he's God. Fuck him. And then you're you sort of find out more about him, and you find out he's actually sort of merciful, and you know he he's a bit more thoughtful in his actions and everything. And it's like, well, maybe he changed. Maybe he's maybe he's not so bad. And it's yeah, it's Jonathan Hickman is doing incredible work. Uh, this is. This is a very heavy book. There are a lot of words in this book, which for event titles isn't normally the way that these things go. They usually kind of let them breathe a little bit, but this is a very information-heavy event. It's a very information-heavy um, issue in particular, but it's just so damn good. To be honest, I'm not having really a tough time, you know, reading it or anything. I'm actually enjoying the information it's not like you know i'm getting bogged down with a bunch of unnecessary shit either it's it's stuff that i want to know that i'm asking questions about as this goes along so it's it's their natural way of answering it and they're doing a very good job of it flowing well it doesn't feel like we're being stopped or anything while they're explaining things either now hickman is absolutely killing it and Assad ribbick's art in this issue is some of the faces are a little bit wonky at times. I've seen that complaint thrown around online a little bit that some of his uh, more emotional responses should should be uh, rendered a little bit better. But overall, his artwork in this book is so stunning. Well, there is just one panel where I was like, "Oh, is he is he pooping? Is is he did he just go full <laughs> retard?" Like, uh, I it's the one where Reed Richards has his head against the uh, like a piece of metal. And I think he just realized that Susan's not there and how much time has passed. And it looks like his eyes are about to roll into the back of his head. And I'm like, are you okay? Like, did you just get, like, hit on the head with a hammer or something? I don't, why are you making that face? Stop it. It looks stupid. You're not, you don't look upset. You look, you look like you're trying really hard to just pop out a deuce. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that one. Um, other than that, no, the the art's been fantastic. Otherwise, and that that's a very very small complaint. It's not even a complaint. I don't really care that much. Uh, no, I didn't really care that much either. I was like, all right, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but I mean, just the Sad Ribic is is one of my favorite artists working. You know, kind of just in general. Ever since his first stuff started coming out, he did a Loki miniseries a while ago that was. Just out of control guy. I mean, the guy's just insanely talented. Well, when you got Alex and, Ross doing the covers, you gotta you gotta be good. And you know what? Honestly, I am not an Alex Ross fan. How dare uh, most you, of the sir? Time. Well, I I don't want to see his dad as Superman. I don't really care. But I care. his covers for this 
series so far have been stunning. No, yeah, they're good, man. And I mean, I I'm they have been incredibly. I'm great. sure he stepped up his game. You know, he didn't use his dad this time. He used yeah. his brother. I that's fine. I'm just tired of looking at his dad. Of his his dad as Superman and his like aunt as Wonder Woman. I don't know. Just anyway, I I am trepidatiously excited for the rest of Secret Wars. Three issues in, and each one has been great. Like, not even just, yeah, this is good for an event. These are just really great comics that Hickman and, and Ribbick are putting out right now. Well, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, man. We got to the end of the summer, so get ready. Get your, get your seatbelt strapped. We're, uh, we're wearing for the ride. There's a lot going on, and this could come off the rails in a big, bad way, but I have faith as of right now, and that makes me really happy. Look, I mean, as long as they keep doing what they're doing and they don't try to tie all the tie-ins in with this, they're going to be all right. If they could, I think If so. they just have to focus on the main book and not doing anything else, they're going to be fine. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for issue 38 of the Paper Cuts podcast. Dean, would you like to plug a few things? Yeah, sure. I'll plug away. Um, plug away, sir. We got the Garden State <coughs> Comic Fest right around the corner. Thanks, Evan. Uh, that will be in July towards the end of the month. I believe it's the 26th to the 27th. I, 26 and 27th Men in Arena, Morristown, New Jersey. There we go. Perfect. 26, 27th Men in Arena, Morristown, New Jersey. Not Morristown. That's not a town, so don't go there. <laughs> That's not a place. Uh, also, you can check out our show notes where we will have all the links to our social media there and the stuff that we read this week. Uh, just so you guys know, like I've been doing for the past few weeks, I don't list every single tie-in for these i just list the week and you'll get a nice big list that you can pick and choose from which ones you want to read and which ones you don't so i'm sorry for that but it would take me hours to (laughs) find each book list them link them make them all pretty looking so sorry but yeah be sure to check it all out we got our facebook twitter tumblr instagram twitch youtube you can contact us there's a link for that as well and, yeah, just be sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're uh, listening to this. And be sure to rate us. That means a lot. Uh, I We're, we're going to start saying that a bit more. Rate us. For God's sakes, rate us. If you like the podcast, give us five stars, man. We appreciate it. If you want to just give a little thing about why you like us, go ahead. Give us a rating. Say why you like us. If you don't like us, just don't listen. Don't give us a bad rating. We'd appreciate that. <laughs> Please. Uh, anyway, that's how we get more eyes and ears on the podcast. Yes. The more that you guys rate, the higher up it appears in searches and the more people we can reach, man. And the bigger Dan's beard gets. That's right. It grows stronger every day. It's a strong beard. All right, Dan, I think we're done. All right. Well, for Evan Goldstein, Dean DeFalco and Dan Ryan, I'm Dan Ryan. Thanks for listening.